This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. I am, um, I, so I grew up with preaching where you could, we could do four sermons on what we just read. <laughs> um, and we're not going to do that. Um, some of us have had that experience. Oh, look, that's very pretty. Um, uh, well, I couldn't see it on the other screen. So, but uh, Emmaus's kind of history, even since ever since I've been here, since like probably 2014, is we're, we have taken like larger chunks of scripture. And I think there's some wisdom to that because it enables us to kind of get through more parts of the Bible. Um, so it's just, I think there's just like a greater uh, exposure to a whole bunch of different things in the Bible. We did the book of Hebrews in, like a, in, in the fall. Uh, and I think the... The, my parents' church, uh, when the other pastor retired in the middle of Hebrews, the guy took up the mantle for Hebrews. and was like another two years before he could like pick the next book of the Bible that they were in or something like crazy like that. Um, and it's good. I mean, there's the, there is, I think there are pros and cons to both approaches. Uh, the idea of taking some time and like very thoughtfully considering uh, what Mark is saying as we walk slowly through the book, uh, I hope will encourage you maybe to just see um, maybe what Paul says, like the depth and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Like like just the, the amount of his character that he's communicating in every sentence of your Bible is is infinite in a sense. He, he, because it's, it's a reflection, like it's God communicating. We worship an infinite and holy uh, and eternal God. So the communication we receive from him also has infinite depth and glory and wisdom and majesty. And, and it's, it fascinates me to think that for all eternity, we'll even be, I believe, that we'll be growing in our knowledge of his word still. Now we're gonna see him face to face, so... Well, our, our exposure to God for eternity will be different, um, but he reminds us that his word is eternal. Uh, for it, it, it never passes away. So we'll, I think we'll grow even in our understanding of God's word uh, for all eternity. And so our thought was then for the, up until we're gonna kind of do this all the way up until Easter, uh, we're gonna work our way through two chapters. And if you're super zealous and you wanna like get ahead of the game, Mark isn't, we picked Mark because it's, A, it's a familiar story. Uh, you know, everyone, like, has a sort of some idea of the gospel story. But also, it's not a very long gospel. So you can sit down and read through the book of Mark fairly quick. You know, it's quick as far as reading books of the Bible go. But I would just encourage you to be reading Mark. Maybe, maybe just if you're like, man, there's no way I can get through, like, the whole book of Mark. Uh, it's still too long. That's okay, too. We're going to be in the first two chapters. Just read the first couple chapters. Like, be the expert on those first couple of chapters. And I, I think, my, I hope, we'll see, I guess, that as we work through each of these stories, God will use what you're reading and what you're connecting as you read through Mark uh, and sort of illuminate l- more details and more pieces of Scripture uh, to give you, to make you really more impressed with who he is, to, to draw you nearer to God and to just have you have like a sense of awe on what he's communicating. And so that, uh, in a nutshell, is where we're going over the next couple of months. Uh, let's jump in and start. Uh, the first, <laughs> this, 
the beginning, and I'll stop there, the beginning. We're, Mark is writing this gospel and he's introducing something big. He's introducing something really big. And he's communicating that to us by using the same introduction, the same beginning as a couple other books of the Bible. You can look at uh, another gospel of John. Starts with the beginning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And what John is doing is he's pulling very explicitly from the first book of the Bible, Genesis. In the beginning, God was in the beginning and it starts with this beginning. And here is Mark trying to help us in this like consolidated, condensed form, communicating to us at the very beginning of the book, something big. He's saying, this is the beginning. This is the beginning of the gospel. And, you know, that's a, that's a, a Christian-y word. We say, uh, you know, do we believe the gospel? Yes, or we gospel each other. You know, that's a, a phrase that we use. Or, but, the, but this word is, is, uh, is, an, is an announcement. Uh, some translations will even translate it in uh, the beginning of the good news. The, the beginning of this thing that is being proclaimed. And in a lot of uh, historical context, this is the way, uh, there was an interesting thing I read that the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus was like the celebration of his birthday because prosperous Rome was going to occur because of the, the beginning of the gospel of this, of this particular king. And they were just kind of talking about that. This idea of the gospel is a, is a big pronouncement traditionally of some kind of military victory. And so that's not just something we know from history. Uh, let's look at 1 Samuel. I have that on the screen. 1 Samuel 31. Uh, this is a discouraging time for uh, the people of Israel. Saul has died in battle, and with the king went the entire nation. And the Philistines basically mopped up the Israelites with their win. And the next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen, fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistine to carry the gospel to the house of their idols and to the people. Now, our, our Old Testament Bibles don't want to discourage us, uh, so they just say the good news. <laughs> but it's the exact same word. They're proclaiming the gospel that they have conquered the Israelites and defeated their king. They're proclaiming the gospel. They're proclaiming the good news. So here's Mark then. At the beginning, he's introducing something big. And he says, I'm letting you know that we're beginning something here. We're beginning something huge. We're beginning something that's, that's the same as the introduction to what you, you would have as your Bible of the day, the, the Torah. The beginning, in the beginning, God. Here, in the beginning, we have a beginning of something huge, we have a proclamation of victory. A proclamation of victory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, I wanted to go, um, we'll have time 
as we walk through Mark uh, to, to look at the titles that Jesus has. But when we say Jesus Christ, uh, it's a funny joke. It's not his last name. It's, it's a title. It's, it's, the, it's the anointed one. It's the Messiah. And, and some Bibles that are even trying to like help us connect some of those dots will we'll just put the Messiah. <laughs> like the, the, it's, the, it's the Greek translated into the English equivalent to what we would use for the anointed or the Messiah in the Old Testament. So right away, Mark is communicating to us something big. He's saying, look, I'm communicating the beginning of something. The beginning of something that is a, a proclamation to the world of a victory of this new king who is the son of God. The Messiah. And then he reads, then he, he quotes and he says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And there's, this is interestingly, he, he says this is Isaiah, he's, he's attributing this to Isaiah, uh, but the, the largest section of the quote is actually a direct quote from Isaiah, and the other two are sort of pieced together from uh, Exodus and from Malachi. But I want to focus a little bit on the Isaiah one. Uh, no surprise, since, you know, we've been in Isaiah for a few years. It says, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord to make his path straight. Here is Mark giving us an idea of the gravity of what he is presenting to us. Like, this is the beginning of something huge. This is the beginning of something world-changing. This is the beginning of something god Conquering. This is the beginning of something with a king. And if, if those things were not weighty enough, let's look at the context of what he quotes in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. I'll just read a few verses here. Verse 6 says, A voice says, Cry. And I said, Oh, I skipped ahead. We're going to one. Perfect. <laughs> Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Now, this is actually a big transition in the book of Isaiah. We, we've moved from the prophecy that Babylon is going to come and ruin everything uh, because of the king that dropped the ball and showed off all the stuff, and they're going to they're gonna take it away. And Isaiah says, hey, Hezekiah, um, you were an idiot, basically. Like, why did you do this? Um, and he scolds him pretty harshly. And he's like, because of what you have done, your children will suffer and you'll be dra uh, dragged off to Babylon and all the gold and all the things you've showed off to everybody because you thought you were so cool is going to go with you. And Hezekiah's response is like, whew, at least it's not happening when I'm alive. Like he just is like selfishly like, okay, cool, what, you know, whatever. It's, a, it's like a, it's a very discouraging end to the story of Hezekiah. But the very next verse then is, is comfort. Like we have a king, we have a Messiah, we have a, 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 a son of God, a type of the son of God fail us. And so then Isaiah immediately shifts to say comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, 
that she has received from the Lord's hands double for all her sins. And then here's our verse, verse three. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. If you're, in your Bible, you have the capital L-O-R-D. Uh, that's saying that, that's trying to differentiate uh, the lowercase L-O-R-D, which is like Lord is in like a king, you know, it's a ruler, a Lord of the land or whatever. So when we have all uppercase, saying prepare the way of Yahweh. Prepare the way of Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It, like it couldn't be more explicit. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of Yahweh shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. Mark is announcing something big. When he quotes Isaiah there, he's communicating to us that the one preparing the way, this proclamation of good news of the king, this new beginning, he's communicating to us that the glory of God himself is going to appear. God, Yahweh, is showing up on the scene. This is something big. We get to look at everything Jesus is doing as we walk through Mark and see God. See his glory. See what makes him majestic. See what makes him wise. See what makes him wonderful. See what makes him compassionate. See what makes him worth worshiping because Jesus is God himself in the flesh. This is something huge. This is something big. This is something being revealed and announced in a way that is going to change the world. I think it's easy. It's... Uh, I'll speak, I'll speak for myself, and you can apply where you will. Um, the weight of multiple children in my house feels big. <laughs> and, like, you can say, it is. It's kind of a deal, you know? But, like, that, there are other weights in my mind, you know? Like, when I uh, wake up in the morning and I go to bed, like, I have other things going on in my life that are, like, weighing on me that feel big. And, and part of, like, the the weight of adding children is the other things weighing on me um, are not going away. <laughs> They're still there. I just can't uh, uh, move towards them like I would maybe in another situation. And so I think it's easy for us to, to go about our days, to go about our weeks, and for things that are big to weigh on us. And maybe we are like thinking about it over and over again. Maybe we're coming back to it a lot. Maybe we're doing what we can to not think about it at all. <laughs> you know, like we're just like putting it in a nice little box and setting it over here and hope that I don't, it doesn't pop up open and I have to like engage with it again. But it's easy for us, I think, to just feel the weight of things in our lives that are significant 
that might be significant, that maybe aren't significant, and, and that's okay. Like, this is how life is. But uh, part of the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of this proclamation of this, like, good news is that there is a weightier thing meant to draw us in, like a weightier thing, like something even bigger of a deal that's... that's God is showing up on the scene in revealing his glory in the midst of everything that's going on so that you and I can't help but draw our affections and our thoughts and our work and our time and our thinking and everything towards who he is. Like he's communicating something big so that we can turn from these other things, not, not like ignore life, but just feel the weight of his glory and his majesty in ways that even as we go on in life and we're thinking about this other thing, even as we are doing our job and maybe we're thinking about this other weighty thing or we're dealing with our kids and we're thinking about this other weighty thing, what if the other weighty thing we were always kind of just had on our minds spinning around was God himself? Like how much more wonderful would it be if that was the biggest weight in your mind? Mark is introducing this gospel with just big things right off the bat. He's tying it back to the beginning of creation. He is reminding us that this is a proclamation of victory. He's telling us that there's a king, the Christ, the anointed one. And at the same time, he quotes scripture to say, and this king himself is Yahweh. the invisible God of all eternity from, from everlasting to everlasting has shown up in space and time. There's nothing bigger than that. He's also giving us something ancient. And, and I was thinking about, um, I want to just put like old, something old, but I was like ancient sounds so like legit, you know? <laughs> and then I was like, but that's kind of neat though. And, and it kind of got my head spinning and I was like, old stuff has like some credibility. Like, like something from the past that is still continuing on today kind of adds a little credit, I think adds a little credibility to it. You know, that's why, like, all the businesses are, like, since 1956 or whatever, you know, like, they're, like, trying to communicate to us, they're, like, no, 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 we're a reputable organization, which I think is really funny when you go to a place and they're, like, since 2010, you know, like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, like, I was, I guess I was out of high school then, you know, so, <laughs> so it was just, you know, history is a little different for us nowadays, but there, but Mark is also communicating something ancient to us, and I think that gives some credibility to what is happening here, like in a good way. Um, Exodus 23, verse 20, is where part of the quote comes from. Cool, I'll just read it from up here. Um, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place I prepared. Now, in Exodus, uh, uh, well, there's a handful of things going on here. It doesn't seem like it's, it, it's an exact quote, right? Like, Behold, I send an angel before you compared to um, behold, I send my messenger before your face. Uh, angel and messenger are the same word in the Greek language. And so the Greek Bible, 
uh, the original Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The Greek Bible, we call it the Septuagint uh, today. Um, the Greek Bible would have had the equivalent words that communicate what Mark is quoting. So when we read the English translation from Hebrew, um, we're doing our best to translate what the Hebrew is saying as best we can into English. Um, and someone else back, you know, 2,400 to 2,100 years ago was translating from Hebrew to Greek. And, and that Greek Bible would say, my messenger or my angel, could, the context sort of determines these things, my messenger before your face. Like, it's a way to say, like, like there's this, like, this one-on-one -on -one here. And, and Hebrew and English are saying, before you to guard you, like, but like before you, like, in front of you, where it would have just been, like, a face-to-face -face is a way to say that. So, so this is actually, like, the, 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 the Greek words uh, in the Bible from, from Mark's time and what Mark wrote down in his Bible are exactly the same. So he's piecing together this, this from the prophet Moses himself, who, who prophesied that there'd be another prophet to come like him. He's piecing these things together. And he does it with another prophet. But this is, he's using this to communicate that the protection, that the comfort, that the, the, the along the way journey that God was offering to Moses and the people as they went into this new promised land is a part of what's going on. And then he's connecting it 750 years later to what Isaiah said. Now, I'm not gonna get into the arguments about the dates. We can shift it, you know. Don't, like, this is not like exact math, but around 750 years. So from Exodus all the way to Isaiah, which we read that part already, 750 years talking about the coming of this Messiah, talking about the, the fact that the glory of God would be revealed. And then it's not too much longer to Malachi. So Malachi 3.1 is another place where this is sort of just kind of smooshed together here. Um, I can go to the next slide because then I don't have to find Malachi. It's a small little book in here. Um, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple in the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And it's really fascinating that Isaiah is talking about the revealing of God showing up and the, the coming Messiah and the comfort to the people. And there's a ton of like, uh, kingly thinking and the, the suffering servant that we get in Isaiah. And I think that's why Mark is saying according to Isaiah because he's actually telling us that his gospel is like shaped like the good news that is shaped in the book of Isaiah. But he's piecing these things together. And what's fascinating is in Malachi, it's all about worship that's proper in, this, in the, where the verse is coming from. And, and so here is God communicating through the prophet Malachi that he's actually going to do things to refine his people and to bring appropriate sacrifices into the presence of God so that the people and God can once again be reunited in proper worship. So here is Mark communicating something ancient to us from 750 years before Isaiah to Isaiah 
almost another 750 years to Jesus. And he's saying, this is from the very first books of the Bible, basically, all the way to what I'm communicating to you today, all about the revealing of God in the restoration of his people with him. This is the ancient promise, the, the ancient problem too, that separated God from man and the promises that came after that to reunite all of his people in a new creation reality so that they could be in the presence of God and worship and enjoy him like Adam did in the garden. And we will talk about it a few weeks from now, but very, very quickly in the book of Mark, he's immediately drawing connections between Jesus and Adam and what he's doing. He's restoring what was lost at the very beginning. So we have this interesting, well, we have a lot of things in Mark in the first couple of verses. I think he's doing his best in the space he decided to use Mark as a short gospel to communicate something big, also to communicate something ancient by, by drawing those connections between Exodus, Malachi, Isaiah, and like packaging it together for us. This is something God has been talking about for a long time. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not a history person very well, unless it's like, you know, biblical and ancient and stuff. Um, but like, what is the, how long has America been around? Like 250 years, give or take? Yes. <laughs> yeah, the 1,500 years between when Mark wrote this and the first thing he quotes. Like, that's a crazy long time. And that was 2,000 years ago. And here we are talking about it. Like, that is ridiculous. That's like a little, that's like, I don't have a mind space for like the length of that kind of time, you know? That is crazy. That is crazy to me. And I think what's interesting, the very next thing, the very next thing in the book of Isaiah, and this, Mark has to be aware of this, Look at what he says in chapter 40, verse 6. This is the very next thing. And he pulls this quote out and he kind of mushes it together, giving us something ancient. The very next thing he says, verses 6 through 8, a voice says, cry. It says, what shall I cry? Like, you know, we, we took the, a voice crying in the wilderness, right? That's what he quoted. Well, what shall I cry? Here is what you should cry. All flesh is grass and the beauty is like the flower, and its beauty is like the flower of the field. All created things, the grass withers, the flower fades when, when the breath of Yahweh blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Forever. You don't think Mark is like, like the 1500 years ago thing that I'm quoting <laughs> as I weave this together and we're standing here like proclaiming the longevity, the ancient reality of the promises of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Did Mark even think that the words he was writing as he's carried along with the spirit would last for another 2,000 years, you know? Like he, he knew the verse in Isaiah, you know, like, oh, it lasts forever, you know? 
But as, as the church grew, is a lot of their conflict, a lot of the like lowest points in the church was in the first couple hundred years. Cole did a little intensive on it a while back. Probably still have books about it if you're interested. Like there was a messy time. And Mark is communicating to us in the very beginning of the gospel that, hey, God says it. It's not changing. Everything else will fade away but God's word will endure forever. This is something ancient. This is something not going anywhere. This is something that will stand forever. So the the more you and I understand and grow and enjoy and feel the, the weightiness of who God is and what he's communicating to us, the more we grow in our understanding of God himself, that will never ever, ever, ever go away for all eternity. You don't have anything else in your life to like stand on with that kind of certainty. And you might think you do. You know, we kind of do, right? Like I thought my schedule was pretty set until last week, you know? Uh, or whatever, you know? Like there's things that we like cling to that give us a, a measure of stability and comfort and security. And, and those are, you know, God's given us things to communicate his attributes and stuff to us. But all of those things are ultimately pointing to who he is and his word that it's eternal and that it's not going anywhere and that we can rest on everything he has ever said ever to be true and to be good and to communicate who he is because he doesn't change. So why would his communication of his character be different? He's the never changing, eternal, ancient of days as a title. So Mark isn't just communicating big things to us, something big. He's not just communicating something ancient to us. He's, he's actually, even in these first couple of verses, giving us this idea that he's communicating something practical. He's communicating something practical. Look at what he says in the quote. He's preparing the way. Prepare your way. Verse two. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. We have way, way, paths in two verses, you know, three times. And he's, this is gonna come up later in Mark as God is present in the person of Jesus Christ with his disciples as they walk along the way is when he's teaching and encouraging. Like most of Mark is like a journey somewhere, you know? Like Jesus is always like in transit. And in the book of Acts, they actually called the Christian faith the people of the way. Like they had a path, they had a a lifestyle, they had a way to live. Mark is trying to help us understand that the good news, this like weighty, amazing thing about who Jesus is, this ancient promises that have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ in the gospel, all of these things are also communicating a way of living to us, a a way of being in God's world, a, a way of fellowshipping with our heavenly father, Way and path are another word that's like all over the place in the book of Proverbs. 
the way of the wise, the way of the fool, the way of the wise, the way of the fool, the path of the righteous, the path of the wicked. You know, this is something that's communicated over and over and over and over again because it's, it's sharing with us that as God reveals who he is to us, as he demonstrates his character, as God himself is walking in the pages of the gospel, Jesus is, is demonstrating God. He's communicating at the very same time that he is also the way in the truth and the life. You know, there's other ones there. But he's communicating. So if, if you want someone to go ahead and show you how to be nearest to God, to show you how to have more joy, to show you how to have peace, to show you how to be wise, to show you how to handle the things that God brings in front of you, God has done all of that for you. He's shown you that. He's demonstrated his character. He's, he's given us four gospels so we can see it from all kinds of different angles and we can look at what Jesus is doing, how he's interacting, what are his priorities, who, how he's making disciples, the things he's caring about. We can look at God himself and say, look, here's the way. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to fulfill God's design for us to bring good to things in the world at the same time we're enjoying the presence of our Heavenly Father. Right before he was crucified in the John 17 and 16 where he's talking to his disciples like it's got real, you know, like things, they're scared as they should be and it's all about to go down and he's tell, communicating these things and he says, I've told you all of these things so that you would have my peace in my joy. Mark is doing the same thing. As we walk slowly through this book and we see God and we see the beginning of this new creation reality, this world-changing king walk like not even figuratively, like literally walk around Israel and the surrounding spaces. As we see him, we're beholding what it looks like for us to be truly human. To be how God designed you to be. To have joy even in a broken world. To have peace when everything around you says you shouldn't. To see good and glory and majesty where nobody else can. The gospel is big. It is rooted in promises that are from the very beginning of the world. It has changed the world. We are 2,000 years post the writing of Mark. And it's because it's eternal, because it's the glory and wisdom of God, it will continue to communicate how we ought to live in a way that brings God's glory and allows us to enjoy him in the way that we were designed. I'm excited to spend some time slowly 
walking with Jesus in this gospel as we also see him and believe that he's the way and desire to emulate him and to enjoy more of what he's offered in the good news. I mean, the very, you know, spoiler for next week, you know, like the very next thing that Mark says is repent. So that's how you can prepare. Like turn from all of these other things and just behold the glory of God. Paul says in Romans that we repent towards God. (laughs) Like we're turning from things and we're beginning to enjoy and see the glory and the majesty. And so of course, as God shows up on the scene, what is gonna prepare us to embrace him and to see him and to enjoy him is to turn to him. Which is what John the Baptist says in the very next verse. So I would just, I would just encourage you guys as we, as we walk our way through Mark, as we walk our way through Mark, take some time. Don't rush it. We're not gonna rush it. See God revealed in the pages of scripture. Come back to it. Chew on it. Sit on it. I mean, I like, I'm the kind of person that like wants to finish a book. But if you're like reading and you're like, whoa, what is God saying right there? Like, don't read anymore. Like, stop. <laughs> Think about that. We got time. This is the beauty of walking through Mark. We're not gonna like cram 20 chapters of Isaiah in the next two months, you know? We're just gonna like slowly go through Mark. And I hope at the end of it, we see more of the beauty and the glory the majesty, the weightiness of what Mark is communicating in the gospel. And as we go along our days, as we're thinking about stuff, as we're being pulled in directions that God is pulling us in, man, we just can't help but sense the like majesty of what God accomplished in the gospel because it means that much more to us. So let's pray and ask for his help with that. God, you are good. And you demonstrated your character, your person, your wisdom. You you demonstrated you in Jesus Christ. So I pray, Lord, that as we desire to enjoy you, as we desire to, to find the beauty and the character and the goodness that you've demonstrated of yourself in all of creation, that we would just be blinded by the glory of the Son, Jesus Christ, as we walk through Mark. So I thank you for your gospel. In your name I pray, amen.